Ace Podcast. Nobody rats on Little Caesar. See? There it is. Experimental robot 23. He's really something, Professor. I want you to look everywhere for a girl named Janet Corning. Janet Corning. Five feet, five inches, uh, brown hair. Brown eyes and the cutest little dimples you ever saw. Brown eyes and the cutest little... I mean, she has prominent dimples. This is Wisecrack's Radio Hour. Join us as we follow quantum scientists Chuck and Wagner through their adventures as they try to get back home to the year 2017 and listen in as they riff on classic radio. feels weird being here on the weekends. Yes, it does. You know, back home, weekends are the busiest times, it seems. But but here in 1957, people seem to stay home and relax. Streets are empty. Town's quiet. It's really nice, actually. Yeah, I kind of enjoy that pace. I just finished installing the new Richrath tube on the board here. Snap a picture of it. One thing we're going to need to do is send some voltage to it and let it warm up for a little while before we can really see what it does. And while we wait for that, we should probably get another tape done for Brumbles. All right. Sounds good. Here you go. And just for my own curiosity, dang, there it is again. What? The airdrop thing? Yes. I just saw it, Wagner. It was really there. And then it vanished almost instantly. That can't be, Chuck, unless your iPhone is malfunctioning. That almost never happens. Are you sure it was an airdrop message? Sure of it, man. No other messages look like that. Hmm. Well, next time you check, take a screenshot as soon as you can, fast as possible. Maybe you'll capture it. You know, that's a good idea. Man, that's freaky. All right, let's go ahead and get a tape done. This one's called August Heat. We could use a little bit of that summer heat right now with all this snow. There's the dinner bell. Suspense. Tonight, the distinguished actor, Mr. Ronald Coleman, in one of the great suspense stories of our time. Aren't they great August every week? Drones. And with August Heat, W.F. Harvey's matchless narrative of premonition and the brooding terror of Twilight and the Unseen... And with the performance of Ronald Coleman, Suspense. In 3D. Please put on your special glasses now. Simon and Garfunkel? Could be. Peniston Road. Clapham. Clapham, darn near killed August the 20th, <laughs> 1945. I have had what I believe to be the most remarkable day in my life. 
I ate a whole pizza by myself. Still fresh in my mind. I wish to put them down on paper as clearly as possible. Sounds like an old riff film. Let me say at the outset that my name is James Clarence Withencroft. Go ahead. You must remember that in order to have the full implication of my story. What was that name again? James Clarence Withencroft. Got it. I'm 40 years old, in perfect health, never having known a day's illness. By profession, I am an artist. A sandwich artist. Not a very successful one, but I earn enough money by my black and white work to satisfy my necessary wants. Skittles and things. My only near relative, a sister, died five years ago, so that there is no one in particular to whom I address this manuscript. Only you, who might by chance read it someday. Probably not. For, because of the peculiar circumstance about which you will soon hear... I have this strong premonition that I shall never live to tell anyone about it. Oh, the woes of a black and white sandwich artist. I breakfasted this morning at nine at the usual time. It was no different from any other morning. Except the eggs were a little bit running. Through the morning paper, I lighted my pipe. Wacky tobacco. And I proceeded to let my mind wander in the hope that I might chance upon some subject for my pencil. The room, though door and window were open, was oppressively hot. And I just made up my mind that the coolest and most comfortable place in the neighborhood would be the deep end of the public swimming bath. Swimming bath? They have those? When I was suddenly shaken. Earthquake! A feeling swept over me such as I'd never experienced before. He just heard Nickelback. I attempted to rise to my feet. But somehow it seemed as though I had suddenly been fastened to my chair. Oh, that old trick. My hand went out in an effort to brace myself. And then, before I knew what I was doing, my pencil was in my hand, and I began to draw. Weird after sculpting sandwiches for so long. Someone had taken my hand and was moving it across the paper, swiftly, in bold strokes. And then I seemed to take over. My hand, under its own power, began to draw. I soon forgot the oppressive heat. And to put on my pants. Everything was forgotten in this frantic feeling that the sketch must be finished as soon as possible. ACDC. Bring it on. I had no idea how long I worked until I heard the clock of St. Jude's in the distance. It was four o'clock. And I had started just after breakfast. Now, for the first time since I'd begun, I actually seemed to see what I had been sketching. It was a portrait of David Hasselhoff. The final result was I felt sure the best thing I'd ever done. It showed a criminal in the dock immediately after the judge had pronounced sentence. The man was fat, enormously fat. Like huge! The flesh hung in rolls about his chin. It creased his huge, stumpy neck. He was clean-shaven, or perhaps I should say a few days before he must have been clean-shaven. And he was almost bald. He's describing Michael Moore. <laughs> he stood there before the judge, his short, clumsy fingers clasping the rail, looking straight in front of him. The feeling that his expression conveyed 
was not so much one of horror as of utter absolute collapse. Definitely Michael Moore. There seemed nothing in the man strong enough to sustain that mountain of flesh. Yep. And then, and then I saw that the sketch wasn't complete. Oh, Michael Moore's naked. Hand, Gross. Uh. An instrument of some kind, a weapon, but, but it hadn't been completed. I had made this sketch, and yet I had no recollection of what I'd intended the man to carry in his other hand. Ham sandwich, probably. Yeah, being a sandwich artist. I took up my pencil again, and I attempted to fill in the fuzzy outline, but, but it was useless. It was as though my fingers had suddenly turned to lead. So I used them instead of the pencil. I sat down, and I felt the moisture slowly forming on my forehead. And once again, I was conscious of the oppressive heat. Still no pants, though. Then I knew that there would be no finishing of the sketch. At any rate, not for the moment. So I rolled it up, and without quite knowing why, I put it in my pocket. With Preston, my lucky hamster. In spite of my peculiar inspiration, I was filled with a rare sense of happiness which the knowledge of a good thing well done gives. Bring the ACDC music back. I believe that I set out with the idea of calling upon Trenton. For I remember walking along Lytton Street and turning to the right along Gilchrist Road at the bottom of the hill where the men are at work on the new tram line. Where the hot dog fender feeds the weasels. I have only the vaguest recollection of where I went. Through parks, along crowded streets, always conscious of the awful heat that came up from the dusty asphalt pavement in a suffocating wave. He needs to lay out the ambient. Oh, slow walker. Is he wearing tap shoes? And I remember, too, the hollow sound of my footsteps as I moved along. Although walking aimlessly, I somehow knew that there was a goal, a something to which I was drawn. Krispy Kreme. I longed for the thunder promised by the great banks of copper-colored clouds that hung low over the western sky. I want Krispy Kreme right now. Mm. I've really no idea how far I walked when a small boy roused me from my abstraction. We got the time, mister. Time for what? Uh, Twenty minutes to seven. Thanks. Hot enough for you, sir? Yes. Now buzz off, you little creep. When he left me, I began to take stock of my bearings. I had 27 ball bearings in my hat. I found myself standing before a gate that led into a yard bordered by a strip of thirsty earth. Oh, thirsty earth. They opened up for the turtles. Flowers, purple stock and scarlet geranium, and great numbers of bees droned over them. I stood looking down at them for a moment, and then, for some reason, I looked up. And was pelted with bird poop. Over the entrance to the place, there was a board with the inscription, Charles Atkinson. Monumental Mason. Worker in English and Italian marbles. Italian marbles. They're very expensive, but they roll perfectly. Yeah, they're the best. Is that even a song he's whistling? Just making tones. From the yard itself came a cheery whistle. The noise of hammer blows and the cold sound of steel meeting stone. Yeah, we hear it. A sudden impulse made me enter, and I went in, in, in the direction of the noise. It's a little off-tempo. There was a man sitting with his back towards me. He was busy at work on a slab of curiously veined marble. It was varicose veined. Then, without turning, his hammer stopped in midair as he was about to bring it down on his chisel. He held his position a moment before turning, but I knew that he was aware of my presence. Because of my flatulence. I saw his face. It was 
although I'd never seen him before. It was the face of the man I had been drawing. Michael Moore is a mason? Are you sure it was his face? Yes, it was the face of the man whose sketch was in my pocket. Okay, just wanted to be sure. <laughs> he sat there on his low stool, huge and elephantine, the sweat pouring from his scalp, not speaking. Sweat doesn't normally and speak. He had a red silk handkerchief and he mopped his brow. Although this face that looked up at me was the same as my sketch, the expression was absolutely different. Suddenly the puzzled expression left his face, and he smiled, as if we were old friends. And he walked over and he took my hand. Hey, give that back. Good day, sir. Good day. I said good day. to intrude. Not at all. Everything is so hot and glary outside. This, uh, this is like an oasis in the wilderness. Oasis belongs in the wilderness. I don't know about an oasis, but it certainly is hot. Take a seat, sir. Oh, uh, no thanks. I've got seats at home. gravestone on which he was at work, and I sat down. Very hot. Yes, we've established that. A piece of stone you've got hold of? In a way it is. The surface here is as fine as anything you could wish. But there's a big floor at the back. Oh, I don't expect you'd notice it. Oh, I noticed it right away. It's terrible. I could never really do a good job on a bit of marble like that. It would uh, be all right in the summer like this, wouldn't mind the blasted heat. But wait until the winter comes. Winter? Yes, comes right after fall. I'd like frost to find out the weak points in stone. Oh. A gravestone, you see? Oh, I see. Mm. Then what's this one for? About 800 bucks. You'd hardly believe if I was to tell you, but it's for exhibition. Oh, he's an exhibitionist. It's truth. Artists have exhibitions, so do grocers and butchers. Oh, we have them too. All the latest little things in headstones, you know. For example, this headstone has Siri. Hey, Siri, what's my death date? Marbles. Which sort of marble best withstood wind and rain? And which were easiest to work? Then of his garden and some new sort of carnation he had bought. At the end of every other minute, he would drop his tools, wipe his shining head. This heat. This heat's bad. A man's not responsible for what he does in this heat. Well, in that case, give me all your money. Little, for I felt uneasy. There was something unnatural, uncanny in all of this. The feeling that I'd experienced it all before. The oppressive heat, the fragrance of the stucks in the air, the conversation about the marble, the flowers, everything as though I, I had experienced it before. And yet I knew that I'd never, ever been in this section of town before. That's textbook deja vu. Yeah, he could have summed it up in four I words. I tried to persuade myself that at least I'd seen him before. That his face, unknown to me, had found a place in some out-of-the-way corner of my memory. But I knew that I was practicing little more than a plausible piece of self-deception. As I sat there quietly, watching him, he looked up at me and he said, Ah, <sighs> there. What do you think of that? I've seen better. Yeah, I thought you just made bad films. A job well done. I could sense that he was experiencing the same feeling I had experienced when I'd finished my sketch. Then he got up with a sigh of relief. <clears throat> Hot. Hot, ain't it? No, you don't say. I was seated in such a position that I was unable to see his work. And for some reason, I didn't move. Suddenly... He began to read what he'd carved on the tombstone. He spoke deliberately and with a flat voice. In the midst of life, 
We are in death. Good times. Born January 18, 1905. I looked up at the start. This man had read my exact birthday. Oh, now I'll have to invite him to the party. Great. <laughs> he passed away very suddenly on August 20th, 1945. That's today. It's hot. We usually use a present date on these exhibition stones. Do you... Do you usually put a name on them too? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, sacred to the memory of James Clarence Withencroft. What the... It came up in my random name generator app. Cold shudder swept over me, and I sat there in silence. The sound of birds and crickets seemed loud in my ears as we stood there, looking at each other, saying nothing. And then he mopped his brow again. Hot. How hot was it? Hot. It was so hot. I was finally able to speak. Where, where did you see that name? Hmm? Oh, I didn't see it anywhere. I wanted some name and I put down the first that came into my head. It's a strange coincidence, but it happens to be mine. Huh? That's your name? You're a... James uh, Clarence... Uh, Withencroft, yes. Yes, but without the... Urs, oh. urs. And uh, the dates? I can only answer for the birth date. It's correct. Oh. That's a rum go. A rum go? It's a new South Beach smoothie. I made a sketch this morning... Of you. I hope you like it. I usually do of sandwich me? art. But you've never seen me before. No. Oh. Oh. I took my sketch from my pocket and I showed it to him. As he looked, the expression on his face altered until it became more and more like that of the man I had drawn. Sweaty Michael Moore. Only the other day before. I told Mariah there were no such things as ghosts. Neither of us had seen a ghost, but I knew what he meant. Then I spoke to him. You, oh, you probably heard my name someplace. Yes, you must have seen me somewhere and forgotten it. Yes. Yeah, that's the ticket. Uh, uh, Clacton on sea um, last uh, July. Oh, great concert. No, I've never been to Clacton in my life. Oh. Well, it must be the ghost then. Sure is hot. And we were silent for some time again. And we stood there looking at one another and at the two dates on the gravestone. And the birth one was right and the other was today. Well, come inside and have some supper. No thanks, just kill me here and get it over with. But his sandwiches are to die for. His wife was a strange little woman, 
who's pallid with the look of those who live their lives indoors. No offense. Her husband introduced me as a friend of his who was an artist, and he informed her that I was staying to supper. I spoke, making some comment that I hoped I wouldn't be an intrusion, and she looked up at me and she said, You have a pleasing voice, Mr. Withencroft, and you're welcome in my home. I'm sorry Charles has not brought you here before. You could have died much sooner. Very little was said during the meal, and after the sardines and watercress had been removed, she walked over to a cupboard, and she took down a thin black book, and as she handed it to me, she spoke. Would you read aloud, Mr. Withencroft? How loud? Puzzled, I I looked down at the book which she'd opened and placed before me. It was a very tiny book, The Prophet, it was called, by an author unknown to me with a strange Eastern name. Khalil Gibran. And my eyes fell across the page. But I found them and put them back in. I was reading aloud, as she'd asked me to. Then Almitra spoke, saying, We would ask now of death. And he said, You would know the secret of death. The secret of death is you stop breathing. But how shall you find it unless you seek it in the heart of life? The owl, whose night-bound eyes are blind unto the day, cannot unveil the mystery of light. If you would indeed behold the spirit of death, open your heart wide unto the body of life. Sounds like more Simon and Garfunkel. For life and death are one, even as the river and the sea are one. In the depth of your hopes and desires lies your silent knowledge of the beyond. And like seeds dreaming beneath the snow, your heart dreams of spring. Hello, darkness, my old friend. For in them is hidden the gate to eternity. I come to talk with you Your again. fear of death is but the trembling of the shepherd when he stands before the king whose hand is to be laid upon him in honor. Is the shepherd not joyful beneath his trembling that he shall wear the mark of the king? Yet is he not more mindful of his trembling. For what is it to die but to stand naked in the wind and to melt into the sun? It is hot. And he forgot his pants. Breathing, but to free the breath from its restless tides, that it may rise and expand and seek God unencumbered. Only when you drink from the river of silence shall you indeed sing. Huh? To quench his heat. When you have reached the mountain top. Then you shall begin to climb. Hey, I heard Tony Robbins say that one time. Claim your limbs. Then shall you truly dance. Hope he's wearing his dancing shoes. I gotta dance. This is pretty good. When I looked up, Mr. Atkinson had gone. To get the poisoned ice cream. wife stood before me, and as she took the book, she spoke. Thank you. Then I went outside. And I found Atkinson sitting on the gravestone and smoking. He was on fire. He the heat. Hot. Hot. Man's not responsible for what he might do in this heat. Yes, so I've heard. He should visit Biloxi. Africa hot. She never asked anyone to read aloud before. 
And then we talked about the sketch again. He looked at it. Likeness is me, all right. On trial. Uh, you, you must excuse my asking, but... Uh, do you know of anything you've done for which you could be put on trial? No, Not yet. I've done nothing. <laughs> Not yet. Oh, the day is He's young. Fetched a can from the porch. And he began to water the flowers. Twice a day regular in the hot weather. And then the heat sometimes gets the better of the delicate ones. And ferns. Good Lord, they could never stand it. Where do you live? Who wants to know? I told him my address. It would take an hour's quick walk to get back home. And he stopped watering. And he faced me squarely. It's like this. We look at the matter straight. If you both go back home tonight, you'd take your chance of accidents. A cart may run over you. There's always banana skins and orange peels. Yeah, don't eat those. To say nothing of falling ladders. Falling ladders? Say nothing of them. Probable. With an intense seriousness that would have been laughable six hours before. But I did not laugh. The best thing we can do is for you to stay here till 12 o'clock. Then it'll be tomorrow, do you see? Yes. We'll go upstairs and smoke. Might as well. Just need these lungs for a couple more hours. And to my surprise, I agreed. Yeah, what could go wrong? We are sitting in a long, low room beneath the eaves. Atkinson has sent his wife to bed. <laughs> you could do that? <laughs> he himself is, is busy sharpening some tools at a little oil stone. Smoking one of my cigars the while. Because I won't be needing them. And as I look at my sketch before me, I suddenly see the fuzzy outline of what the man in the picture holds in his hands. But while I had not been able to sketch it before, I am able to do so now. It is a chisel. Because the accused always gets to hold the murder weapon during trial. With dark liquid. Oh, there's that thunder. sketch is completed now. The air seems charged with thunder. Nope, no charge. On the house. And I hear it in the distance. It is ominous, but but it carries the hope of rain. Perhaps this damnable heat will, will be broken soon. It is hot. And the day will soon be over. It is close to twelve. I'm writing this at a, at a shaky table before the open window. Shaky's pizza? The leg is cracked. Root beer. And Atkinson, who, who seems a handy man with his tools, is going to mend it as soon as he has finished putting an edge on his chisel. There. ACDC again. It is 12. The day is over. And I shall be going home. Home to the clouds shortly. The heat is stifling. This heat is enough to send a man mad. Take a break.
Wait, that's it? What happened? Wow, that is it, isn't it? Man! Okay, so he was off by a day on the gravestone. Yeah, and that's not an easy fix. Especially with a dull chisel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, color my world. Chicago. Wisecracks Radio Hour is written and produced by Aaron Lindsay and Sean Rourke. Dr. Charlie is played by Aaron Lindsay. Dr. Wagner is played by Sean Rourke. Mr. Brumbles is played by Craig Underhill. And I'm your announcer, Lori Lindsay. Please connect with us on social media. Our Twitter handle and Facebook ID is Wisecracks Radio. Our website is wisecracksradio.com. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another exciting episode. Please review us wherever you find your podcasts. That's right. You got to read it. (laughs) Darn it.